Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Get Up Speak Up, a new sports debate podcast hosted by me, Marley, that will mostly be about topical football debates and will also span into the American sports world covering the NBA and the NFL. Um, But before I dive straight into today's topics and the kind of debates I'm going to talk about on this episode of the podcast, I'll just touch on what to expect from the podcast going forward Um, because this week as I say is the very first episode and will just be me Um, but most weeks I'm hoping to have guests on with me to bring on some different perspective different opinions and create some debate and disagreement and all the good things that come along with that Um, so yeah today will just be me um, but going forward um, there should be guests on the show and have a slightly different structure with perhaps some interviews and like I say that to and fro debate which is all really exciting for our sports fans um, and speaking of debates and disagreements uh, the first thing I really want to talk about on the podcast was GOAT debates greatest of all time they seem to be the most commonly talked about debates the mo- most hotly contested debates and yeah, probably the most interesting debates um, because people tend to come up with some interesting opinions on this. Um, but it is really interesting across all sports. You know, Tom Brady versus Lawrence Taylor, Bill Walsh versus Bill Belichick, Muhammad Ali versus Sugar Ray Robinson. All these GOAT debates are really exciting. And the two I'm going to go into today is Messi versus Ronaldo in football and LeBron v MJ, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan as to who's the greatest of all time in basketball. Um, Just before I go into kind of saying my opinion on these debates and why I think what I think um, and talking about them, I just want to make a general point about all of these GOAT debates across all sports um, because I often find people trying to find kind of common characteristics between all GOATs, saying things like, The GOAT is the one with the most trophies. The GOAT is the one with the best stats. They can't be the GOAT because they don't have this trophy. And um, I kind of disagree with this approach. Um, I think that rather than making up a set of rules about what a GOAT must be, um, the GOAT debate should be contextualised and specified to their sports. Because what makes you the GOAT in one sport those same characteristics might not make you to go in another sport. And I make this point because that is the kind of deciding factor of my opinion on the Messi versus Ronaldo debate. Messi, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Just when you think he's done everything, he comes up with something even more special. It's the best play. And then Ronaldo! Because football is a sport that is won and lost in moments. It's not um, an accumulation sport like tennis or basketball where lots of points are tallied up throughout the game. Football is one of these sports which is won and lost in high leverage moments in the final third. And that's why I think it's crucial to assess, it's pivotal to think about when you're comparing um, who's better than who and who's the best, how players perform in the highest pressured 
highest leverage moments. And it's this reason why I believe Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player of this generation. Yes, Ronaldo is my guy, he's my GOAT, and I'm going to explain why. If you look back at Real Madrid's success um, before he left, winning three Champions Leagues in a row, that's ridiculous. Um, how many times did that Real Madrid side look down and out, turn to Ronaldo and just say, take us to the promised land? And he did, countless times. 2016, they were 2-0 down against Wolfsburg after the first leg. Second leg, Ronaldo hat-trick, 3-0, and they're through. The next year, back-to-back hat-tricks against Bayern Munich and Atletico Madrid in the quarterfinals and the semi-finals of the competition, seeing them through to the final. And then the next year, after scoring that outrageous overhead kick uh, in Turin, who then steps up in the 96th minute to smash home the game-winning penalty right into the top corner? None other than Cristiano Ronaldo. This, this guy has ice water in his veins. He is absolutely the best in these high-pressured, high-leverage moments. And then, <clears throat> and then a lot of people turn around and say, well, what about Messi? Well, what about Messi? Twice now, Barcelona have been bounced out of the Champions League off the back of ridiculous, miraculous comebacks, the like of which have almost never been seen before. Uh, 4-1 up against Roma, 3-0 they lose in the second leg. 3-0 up against Liverpool, 4-0 they lose at Anfield. And look, we have to ask ourselves, why has the conductor of the greatest footballing orchestra we've ever seen stood idly by twice while his team has been bounced out of the Champions League in this manner, in games of this magnitude, it's important. And we have to ask ourselves, would Ronaldo stand idly by while his team crumbled around him? Not lost, but crumbled and disintegrated around him in games of this magnitude. I just can't see that. Um, when you compare their whole careers, Messi and Ronaldo, stats-wise, there's nothing to separate them. You're just splitting hairs. Um, but when you compare how each have performed in the highest pressured, highest leverage moments throughout their career, which is what football's all about ultimately, that's the game, the high leverage moments, Ronaldo comes on top. Look, they are both generational footballers, both generational talents. But you say to me, one game, fate of the universe on the line, who are you taking? Give me Cristiano Ronaldo every time. But look, that is just my opinion, that is what I think. Um, And I'm sure people, a lot of people disagree with me and Messi is their GOAT. But, um, and it it will be very fun when we get someone on here who passionately disagrees and they can get up, speak up for their GOAT and we can get um, a fiery debate going. But that's my opinion on that. Um, I'm sure everyone does have their opinion and valid reasons for their opinion, but I just think, specified to the game of football, the high leverage moments, momentum shifts in matches are so key, Ronaldo has proven to be that guy too many times to deny him. But, like I say, open for debate. Moving over to the NBA as promised, um, a similarly fiery debate that goes on in basketball as to who's the greatest of all time between LeBron and MJ. 
Here's LeBron. James takes fire. Ball game. He did it. LeBron James wins it for Cleveland. Jordan for the win. And I must say, this one is far easier for me. For me, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. He's got more rings, more MVPs, more final MVPs, and even the advanced analytics like PER, which essentially just means how much do you contribute to your team's performance. Jordan's ahead. Um, but the debate still exists. Um, the debate still exists, and I think... The reason why, despite all those stats pointing at Jordan, the reason some people consider LeBron James the greatest of all time is because, as sports fans, what we love are stories. Stories about teams and stories about individuals. And LeBron James's story is a truly captivating one, it has to be said. Drafted straight out of high school into the NBA with all the expectation and the pressure in the world. Um, his, first <coughs> his first chance at an NBA title with the Miami Heat against the Dallas Mavericks, he completely chokes. Um, and he has to go away, learn, grow, become a leader. He then goes home to Cleveland and captures a championship against the odds against the 73-win Warrior team in a Game 7 at the Oracle. I mean, that is fairy tale stuff in sport, if ever you've heard it. But the reason Michael Jordan doesn't have this fairy tale story is because he came into the NBA the assassin and the leader that he always was. Which, and, it, and it's unfair to hold against Jordan that he didn't require the same cyclical journey of growth um, to become that guy because he was always at that level. And the reason he didn't have to slay a monster against the odds in the way LeBron slayed the Warriors at the Oracle is because he was the monster. I mean, talk about the 73-win Warrior team. It was Michael Jordan's 1996 Chicago Bulls team who won 72 games, who, whose record the Warrior broke. Um, the Warriors broke. Um, and you know why there was no Game 7 come-from-behind win by Michael Jordan like LeBron's? Because Michael Jordan's team were never 3-1 down. Michael Jordan's teams were always the monster, always the odds-on favourite, because they had Michael Jordan. And it's unfair to hold against Jordan that his greatness elevated his team to such a level that they were always the odds-on favourite and therefore never had to have a miraculous come-from-behind victory. Um, and if you look, um, LeBron James lost uh, six of his nine NBA Finals. Michael Jordan, six from six. You can't hold against someone that they were just too good to have this kind of fairy tale underdog story. Um, so I definitely think Michael Jordan that, uh, wins that debate um, and the LeBron argument is slightly misguided, maybe by some prisoners of the moment, maybe. Um, but also just because um, it is a fantastic story and we always warm to that as sports fans. But a sober analysis of this quite clearly shows Michael Jordan to have the edge in that debate.
Um, but again, look, that's just my opinion. I know for a fact there are lots of LeBron fans out there, a lot of people that think he's the GOAT, and it would be really great to have a pro-LeBron voice at some point on the podcast, and we can thrash that GOAT debate out. Um, so, yeah, um, GOAT debates are always fun. Um, but now, look, GOAT debates are fun and where it's at. But just circling back to football, um, it is impossible to start a sports debate podcast without mentioning VAR. Those three magical words, those three words that are everywhere, we can't escape them, everyone's talking about it. Um, I think everyone and anyone with any scintilla of footballing knowledge and Robbie Savage, I think, have been voicing their opinion on it at some stage. And I must say, um, I am surprised by the number of people that are against it. It has really shocked me, the number of people that are against it. I expected there to be a time of change and for people to be slow to come around, but there are people that are really against it. And I'm for VAR personally, um, but I don't discount the case against VAR and I'll explain what I mean on this uh, topic. Um, the case against VAR is largely twofold. One, it's too slow, which breeds confusion and leads to slant, uh, slightly anticlimactic goal celebrations. And the second argument against is a bit more, it's a bit stranger, but still valid. Um, it negates a level of human error in the refereeing, which some fans enjoy the authenticity of and find dramatic. Um, but in rebuttal to the case against VAR, I would implore a phrase which slides into this debate and explains this point really nicely, which is, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And this outlines how Oftentimes, good things, things which have a net contribution which is positive, are not done or shut down because they're not perfect. And you see this in life all the time when people are contemplating making a change. Instead of assessing what they should be assessing, which is, would this change be better than what I have now? They instead assess, would this change be perfect? And after finding flaws in what the change would be like and picking holes in it, they decide to stay exactly where they are. Just because VAR is imperfect, just because it has some flaws to it, doesn't mean it's not better than what we had previously. FIFA statistics suggest 99.3% of VAR decisions are correct. So of course that's an improvement on what we had previously, which is flawed decisions because referees are only human, in high-leverage, match-defining moments which shape the result of the game. Technology needs to be embraced in football, just like it's been in other sports, and we can't be fearful of its imperfections. Um, and that is why I believe, despite its faults that do exist, VAR should continue to be endorsed. Um, I recognise the flaws, I see what people say about how it's too slow, you have the whole away end, away end go up in scenes only to then have it ruled out and mocked by all the home fans but look um, I can see it improving I really do believe VAR is the future and an overall force for good um, but we will see we will all see we will all watch on 
Um, very interested and we will see how it pans out. Um, one thing we can be very confident of going forward is it will bring more drama and oddities and that can only be good for us fans. Only be good. Um, just to switch up from uh, looking forward in terms of VAR into the future, so thinking about what that will be like, just to switch up into casting our minds back to the end of last season and the last transfer window because there's something I in a way kind of want to get off my chest um, see what people have to say about it because I've heard a lot in football circles this notion that the success English clubs enjoyed in Europe last season was overdue considering the amount of money Premier League clubs get and I really want to talk about this because I really disagree with that and I think English teams venturing deep into European competition as we saw last year in both the Champions League and the Europa League speaks far more to the level of coaching in the Premier League than it does just the money. And this narrative that it's just the money in the Premier League which is uh, giving Premier League clubs uh, an advantage over the rest of Europe I think can be picked apart. Uh, but I'm really interested to see what... Um, people also think about this um, if we cast our minds back to the end of last season and you think about the best young players in Europe and the clubs and the players that the big clubs in Europe were eyeing up to get you would probably think of that Ajax team with the likes of De Jong and De Ligt Premier League clubs would have been willing to spend an absolute fortune to bring in these guys a fortune, but it didn't happen. The giant clubs in Italy and Spain lapped them up, and it's because of the mystique and the allure of these clubs. The mystique and the allure of Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus perpetually gives the likes of these clubs um, a premium on the young blue chip talent in Europe. And Premier League money when you look at it, can't actually combat that. It hasn't combated that over the years. This phenomenon has been going on throughout recent history in football. Look at the two teams who made the Champions League final last year, Tottenham and Liverpool. Look at, take Tottenham. Who are Tottenham's best two players from the last 10 years? You'd probably say Bale and Modric. Well, both Bale and Modric got lucrative offers from Man United when they left Tottenham, but instead decided to go to Real Madrid. And it's because of the mystique and the clout of Real Madrid that sucks them away. Premier League money, Man United the richest club in the Premier League, Premier League money was not enough. The best players, the best players from Tottenham sucked away to La Liga, sucked away to Real Madrid because of the clout of those clubs. And it's a very similar narrative with Liverpool. Liverpool's best two players over the last decade, you'd probably say Suarez and Coutinho. Well, it's every South American boy's dream to play for Barcelona. And um, when they came calling, Premier League money could do very, very little to stop it. It's further evidence that Premier League teams lose the cream of the crop. I'm talking about the, the very best players always go to those giant clubs in Spain and Italy. Um, and the same thing played out in the last transfer window. Hazard and Pogba are two of the most 
if not the two most talented players in the Premier League, at least some of the most talented players in the Premier League, and they, both of their clubs would respectively be willing to pay an absolute fortune in wages to keep both of them. They would have paid loads of money, and but they still wanted to leave. They still want to go to play for Zinedine Zidane in the white kit of Real Madrid. That still clearly supersedes the money that is in the Premier League. And if you look at Barcelona's team now, if you look at Real Madrid's team now, if you look at Juventus's team right now, man for man, because of you know Messi and Ronaldo is on another level. But even after that, man for man, they have better teams than uh, Liverpool and Tottenham. Yet it was Liverpool and Tottenham in the final. And I think more credit needs to be given to the likes of Mauricio Pochettino, Jurgen Klopp and Mauricio Sarri for crafting squads that compete for the best trophies in Europe without necessarily having the best players in Europe. Um, when you analyse the English team's success, it's far more nuanced than the money. And to put it all down to the financial muscle of Premier League clubs is surely making that far too simple. Um, that's definitely what I think. Um, but a lot of people do band around this narrative that, oh, it's about time English teams got deep into Premier League. Look at all the money they have. You know, 30 million here, 40 million here by like West Ham and Leicester. But that's not the point. When it comes to the Champions League, surely those difference makers, going back to the GOAT debate at the start of the podcast, the likes of Ronaldo, Messi, you know, all these blue chip signings, the best players, the guys that turn up um, at the Ballon d'Or, surely, um, surely that um, gives them an advantage over English clubs. And just to chalk all the success down to money is making it far too simple. Um, now, I, I know a lot of people will disagree what I think, um, and that is what it's all about, really, the disagreement and the debate. Um, to facilitate these debates on the dubious sports issues surrounding the content on the podcast, a Twitter account has been made. It's at Marley G-U-S-U, at Marley G-U-S-U. If you're interested in these intrinsically divisive intrinsically compelling conversations like GOAT debates, like VAR debates, definitely give that account a follow. Um, if you're not, what on earth were you talking about through break and lunch or through secondary school? That was literally it for me. At Marley G-U-S-U on Twitter, check it out. And that draws the first Get Up Speak Up podcast to a close. Um, thank you so much for listening. It's been so fun. Um, keep an eye out for upcoming episodes which should include guests, the fresh and the, uh, um, should include guests and the fresh perspectives and conflicting opinions that come with that. Thanks so much, and catch you next time on Get Up, Speak Up.